The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, the August jobs report. 315,000 jobs added last month. Pretty good, but what does it mean for the Fed's next rate hike? Our own in-house economist, Steve Leisman. If they're going to see 350,000 jobs created, that's good. But they're going to see the unemployment rate rising. That's not a good thing. And people, I think, are going to be concerned about that. China's decision to lock down a city of 21 million people after 700 COVID infections. Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Once these new strains get into an immune-naive population, they can wreak havoc. And China right now is an immune-naive population with no end in sight. Plus, Starbucks naming a new CEO, Lululemon delivering a happy surprise, and meme traders beware the first rule of economics. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Or, in your case, a free trade. UCLA professor Christopher Schwartz. People think it's free, and obviously the costs are, it's not free A, and then B, the costs are very, very different depending on what broker you use. It's Friday, September 2nd. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Steve Leisman and Mike Santoli. Joe and Andrew are off today. But guys, we've got a lot to get through before this jobs report this morning because a lot's going to be. First up on Squawk Pod, a key indicator for the markets, the economy and the Federal Reserve, the latest monthly jobs report. The Labor Department has reported that in August, the U.S. added 315,000 jobs. That was just below Wall Street's estimates. The numbers are hitting the wires. 315,000. 315. Unemployment rose a bit to 3.7%, which was a touch higher than expected. Now, Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell warned a week ago that to battle inflation, the central bank would be hiking interest rates aggressively, or continue doing so, I guess. But he would be watching key economic indicators, like today's job report, for example, to inform his next decision on rate hikes still to come later this month another unusually large increase could be appropriate at our next meeting. Our decision at the September meeting will depend on the totality of the incoming data and the evolving outlook. U.S. employers have kept up their hiring pace, but that's only part of the picture. Job openings are outnumbering available workers. Another thing Jay Powell warned about last week. The labor market is particularly strong, but it is clearly out of balance, with demand for workers substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. That imbalance pressures wages and ultimately pushes costs for fuel, groceries, even shelter higher, exacerbating the inflation issue. Tyler Goodspeed, a former member of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama, spoke to us this morning about the numbers. So I think that the question for the Fed is no longer so much, you know, how high do they go, what is the terminal rate, but rather how long do they have to stay there. Starbucks, meanwhile, has named Lakshman Narasimhan 
its new CEO. He previously served as CEO of health and hygiene company Reckitt, which owns brands including Lysol, Durex, and Mucinix. Before that, he worked at several roles at PepsiCo and was a senior partner at McKinsey. He'll join Starbucks in October and learn about the company and its turnaround plan before taking over as CEO in April. Founder Howard Schultz will remain interim CEO until then, and the company will unveil more details about its plans at an investor day on September 13th. There you go, less than two weeks. I mean, this is this is pretty interesting. This is the third time that Howard Schultz has turned over the reins. He's done it a couple of times before. He's never gone far away because Starbucks is a huge part of his holdings, and he's really built the culture. So this time he came in under very different circumstances, um, where Starbucks in the past had always been the one who had come up with all of these benefits and really made baristas a, a, a completely different job. Um, pushback this time around, unionized union activities at some of the stores. So it's a very different time. He had to come in, stop some of the share buybacks and make sure that they're reinvesting and trying to figure out how to keep up with the demands of people who sometimes are coming to work, sometimes aren't. Um, and just making sure that you kind of specialize and have stuff that's there ready to go when people put their order in from afar. Um, Lakshman's a really interesting guy. I met him back at Pepsi when he worked there. He was on with us on the show during the pandemic just talking about Lysol and how much demand there was for it, how they couldn't get through some of these things through. <laughs> but he's a guy who's been through a lot of the consumer goods, not just the, the stuff you think about more recently with Lysol, but also with PepsiCo and has a pretty good understanding of the, the coffee dealings that they had with PepsiCo, right. too. The, the, yeah, the, the, the bottled uh, hey guys. Yeah. prepackaged stuff. Yeah. Right. Can, can I just want to ask a question, which is what does it say? I always like to watch this that. Starbucks did not find a CEO inside. 385,000 something employees. Why couldn't they find somebody inside the company? What does it say about the culture they're developing? Well, they did. It was Kevin um, Johnson. I, I always like I always like to see that whether or not they've they find somebody inside, are they growing their own, so to speak? It didn't seem like it was true in this case. I think that's probably because of the issues they had with Kevin Johnson and you know the board's decision to kind of go a different direction. I think it's hard to do when you have someone who's come in who was supposed to take over for Howard Schultz. When that didn't work out, things kind of fell apart. I, I think it, it was probably an indication of a plan that went awry. And a lot of what you hear in terms of a fresh set of eyes and basically questioning the way that Starbucks has done things, even Schultz has talked about just the complexity, uh, the complexity of the menu. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a it's a bigger global consumer branded company uh, versus what it was, you know, 10 years ago. Even so, uh, we'll see uh, about how that unfolds. He's got a few months to figure it out before taking over, I guess, as CEO. Shares of Lululemon are jumping this morning. The activewear brand reported earnings of 2.20 per share, beating estimates of $1.87. Revenue also beaten. It raised its full-year guidance. Same-store sales grew 23% versus an estimated 17.6%. Lululemon said traffic remained strong, both in-store and online, despite surging inflation. And uh, the CEO told us uh, not as much discounting as some competitors stock up almost 10%. I couldn't believe, like, every metric you looked at there. Men's business up 27%, women's up 24%, traffic up 30% in stores, online up 40%. It's like, look for any weakness. Good luck. Absolutely. And, and the you know, the stock had been down, yeah, I don't know, 35% from the high. So clearly, uh, investors feel like they're bucking, uh, the, you know, the broader trend here. Coming up on Squawk Pod, China is locking down, but the U.S. is gearing up. We're heading back to the office amid infection. So what do we need to know? Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. The hope is that these new vaccines are going to be more effective against this B4, B5 variant that's spreading here in the U.S. There's good reason to believe it will be. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod with Becky Quick and Steve Leesman. Here's Becky. The CDC signing off on updated COVID boosters from Pfizer and Moderna in an effort to try and protect against the Omicron variant this fall. This all happens as companies, including Goldman Sachs, announced that they are lifting COVID protocols in an effort to try and get employees back into the office full time. Joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor who also serves on the boards of both Pfizer and Illumina. And Scott, why don't we start with what we just heard from Eunice, because this has definitely been rattling markets, especially oil markets. If you kind of look at where oil prices have gone this week with these lockdowns coming back in China, there's got to be big concerns that this is going to be a practice that continues for some time. It, it's just such a weird juxtaposition to see them shutting down over 700 cases, sitting down, shutting down a city of 21 million people when we're talking about, OK, it's back to business here. Um, it, it's just two different realities in terms of how we've dealt with it and how they have. Well, look, there's no end in sight really for China. And we, we predicted this a couple of years ago that China had a very immune naive population. They weren't deploying vaccines that were as effective as our vaccines. And they haven't had a lot of COVID spread, so they don't have a lot of immunity in their population. And these new variants that they're dealing with, that the whole world's dealing with, are actually worse than the original strain of uh, the virus, the old Wuhan strain, because they're more contagious and probably more virulent. The reason why we're having a much different experience with it here in terms of not having as much impact on the population is because we have such broad immunity, not just through vaccination, but also through successive rounds of infection. China just doesn't have that. They have an immune-naive population. So if this B5 variant or one of these newer variants gets into that region and they can't control it, uh, they'll lose control very quickly. And we saw that happen in Hong Kong, where you had um, death rates in Hong Kong, the case fatality rate was higher than pre-vaccine London. So it, once these new strains get into an immune-naive population, they can wreak havoc. And China right now is an immune-naive population with no end in sight because we really don't have visibility on a vaccine that they're going to deploy that's going to be more effective against these new variants. Why haven't they used one of the Western-developed vaccines? Is it just pride? Nobody knows for sure. I hear different speculation. They made a deliberate decision not to deploy the, um, the BioNTech vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine. They had licensed that to a Chinese company, Fosan BioNTech did, because they had retained rights to China licensed it to a Chinese manufacturer that got up and running and the government made a decision not to deploy it. They're working on their own mRNA vaccine. Um, I don't have visibility on the timing of that, but by the time they deploy a vaccine, we'll probably be dealing with new variants. And any one of these variants can get into China just because B5 is the prevalent variant here in the U.S., 
doesn't mean that they couldn't have an outbreak with Delta or B1 or B2, because they really haven't had an experience with any of these variants. And so B5 doesn't necessarily need to be the variant that gets into that region. It could be another variant. Dr. Dr. Gottlieb, we have the jobs number coming out today, and I'm interested, and we've talked about this before. How much should we expect in terms of people not being available to work on a continuing basis. I look at the New York Times numbers every day and it's 90,000 cases. If I take 60% of that, which is the workforce, which I don't know if that's accurate, uh, you know, you get down to 70,000 or something like that. Um, How many people are out at any one month because of COVID? And what about long COVID being something that's considered to be uh, reducing the overall workforce over a longer period of time? Look, I think it's harder to measure what the impact is of long COVID, how much that's reducing productivity or pulling people out of the workforce. In terms of how many people are being pulled out of the workforce on a daily basis, you look at around 80,000 infections happening on an average day right now. It's probably going to go up as we head into the fall and the winter. Um, Some high proportion of those people who are working age are pulling themselves out, out of the workforce on a daily basis. And you figure the average person probably is registering a positive for around five to seven days. That gives you a rough sense of how many people are out of the workforce. And so, you know, that 80 percent probably skews towards a higher, that 80,000 probably skews towards um, older people, some proportion which are retired out of the workforce entirely. But that gives you a rough sense. You mm-hmm. can you can sort of break down from there how many people are out of the workforce. Hey, Scott, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the latest vaccines that just got approval. Uh, this would be the ones that focus on the variants we've seen here. I, I guess the question becomes how effective is it when so many people have already gotten these? And what are the new variants we need to worry about this fall? What, what kind of situation are we in? Yeah, well, we don't really have visibility on what the new variants are. There's some new strains that are spreading in certain parts of Europe. None have really seemed to t- get a foothold right now, but it's still early. Um, there's some new variants out that are sort of combinations of aspects of the mutations that we've seen in both Delta and Omicron that people have their eye on. The hope is that these new vaccines are going to be more effective against this B4, B5 variant that's spreading here in the U.S. There's good reason to believe it will be. It's based on the B4 variant. We don't have real-world data demonstrating that yet. Um, but the hope is when you look at modeling uh, off of how many people, off of people who've had the old um, variants in B2 and B1 and how protected they are against B5, and there was just some data out in the New England Journal of Medicine showing that they, that's quite protective uh, infection with B2 is quite protective against subsequent infection with B4, B5. That suggests that these vaccines are probably going to afford a degree, a higher degree of protection um, against infection from B4, B5 because they're based on that variant. The durability, that's unclear. How long that will last, I think, is a big question. But I think that there's, we're going to be able to demonstrate that there's pretty good protection for a reasonable period of time from infection. So it restores some of the protection against infection. Again, hasn't been demonstrated in clinical trials. That's the next step to really prove it in real-world evidence. If you've recently had it, though, I mean, how I guess you wait to, to get another vaccine because you want to use your natural immunity for as long as possible. I guess I, I think there's a lot of confusion now. If you've had it once or twice, if you've been fully vaccinated to the point. Do you need another booster? Well, I think that that's right. And the recommendation from CDC was to wait up to three months from a prior infection. FDA talked about waiting two months. Um, So it is prudent probably to wait a period of time from infection. So if you're someone who was infected this month or maybe even last month, you know, waiting a couple of months to get this new vaccine probably is prudent because you're going to extend out um, your period of protection because you're going to have the natural immunity from the prior infection. And also there's some evidence that the, the effect of the vaccine, the protection offered by the vaccine, will be more robust after infection, after waiting that period of time. So there is a recommendation. CDC talked about waiting three months from the prior infection. So I think that that's prudent. People who had the vaccine, their previous booster, the recommendation is to wait at least two months from the prior um, prior booster. About 
that, will, that encompasses about 11 million people. About 11 million people have been vaccinated either in July or August or had their booster in July or August. So those people probably should wait a couple of months before having this new booster. And just in terms of getting back to work, you've heard uh, Goldman Sachs, a lot of other companies saying, like, OK, post Labor Day, we want people back in the office. We want this to be a return to normal. Um, is that the message you'd be sending to people too? Time to get back to it? Yeah, I think businesses should start to normalize the workday. I think that, you know, we're in a much different situation. We're certainly not in a situation China is. We have a lot of immunity in the population. Um, this is still having an impact on some cohort of the population, particularly people who are vulnerable, are going to continue to be vulnerable to this infection. But for the vast majority of people who've had it, who've been vaccinated, um, they're far less vulnerable. We have a new vaccine coming out that should be more protective from infection. So hopefully it will protect the workplace to some degree. And we have effective therapeutics. I think we're in a much different situation and we have to be thinking about how to normalize the workday and get people back to work for businesses who feel that that's going to be the more productive way to operate their businesses. There's probably some businesses who feel they're getting equal or better productivity out of having workers from home. But a lot of businesses are not in that position. I think that they are in a position right now that they can start to normalize the workday and bring their employees back. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, we're talking meme stock trades. But it's not so much what you're trading as who you're trading with that matters. UCLA professor Christopher Schwartz. So we'd have two trades go to the same market center at the same time, and they get radically different pricing on a consistent basis. What you need to know about so-called commission-free trades right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Mike Santoli along with Becky Quick and Steve Leisman. And a movie about last year's GameStop meme stock phenomenon is in the works. It's called Dumb Money. It's based on the book The Anti-Social Network <laughs> by a friend of the show, Ben Mesrick. Filming is set to begin this month, featuring actor Seth Rogen, SNL alum Pete Davidson, and Marvel star Sebastian Stan. This movie revolves around a group of Reddit-based retail investors on the Wall Street Bets page who boosted shares of GameStop in an effort to try and hammer the short-selling hedge funds, taking it back to the man and doing it pretty effectively. Um, it's certainly caught our attention around here. And I guess the question, guys, is, is this going to catch as much attention just in terms of will the general public be really interested in this story, too? Ben Mesrick is the master at this. He did it with the social network, uh, which was Facebook at that point. And I guess this is the next test of all of that. Well, it is. I mean, I, I guess if the big short could, you know, make cinematic, uh, yeah. you know, CDO trading and, has a much better and all chance, the rest right? of it. Yeah, it's, it's got a brand. It's got a populist uh, kind of uh, message uh, and all the rest. We'll see. It's guys at screens, though. I don't know how you're going <laughs> to make it dramatic. I wonder how it all ends up. Did, did people end up making money net net on this? I guess for a time Somebody they did, did, but then didn't everybody kind of lose their shirt at the end of the day, right? Depends on how much of a diamond hands holder you were. That's right. Yeah. 
So-called no-free trading has become a popular move for brokerages to promote since Robinhood took off in 2015. Last year, a team of five professors decided to put this claim to the test, executing over 85,000 trades over six different brokerages. And they discovered that they were getting significantly different prices to buy and sell shares based on which brokerage handled the trade. Looking at the results, the professors determined that the different prices of the trades were costing investors over $34 billion a year. Here's Becky. Right now, let's get more on the trading action of Bed Bath & Beyond. That meme stock has been extremely volatile just over the last couple of weeks. The company, in fact, is often the best or the worst performer in the S&P 500, depending on the day, maybe depending on the hour. Trading has been done by retail investors on platforms that often offer zero commission trading. However, there's a new study out that shows no fee trading isn't what it seems, and it may be costing investors billions of dollars a year. Joining us right now is one of the authors of that study, Christopher Schwartz. He is finance professor at University of California, Irvine. And Chris, let's talk about your study because when I saw it, it really grabbed my attention. You went about doing this with some other professors. You put your own money at work executing trades, did them simultaneously across five different platforms and found some very wide differences in terms of what you ended up getting for those charges. I guess it's proof that there is no free lunch. Well, good morning, Becky. I apologize about my uh, voice, but uh, you're correct. Uh, we basically, what happened was um, we were doing another study and we opened a brokerage account and we decided to do one other brokerage account in parallel. So nothing related to this. And after the first day, uh, the one brokerage account lost $150 and the other brokerage account actually made $12. Um, and what we found was that it led us to this rabbit hole that you talked about where we ended up placing 85,000 trades worth $17 million over five and a half months at uh, six different brokerage accounts. And basically, we found that the very best broker, um, you lost about seven basis points on a round trip trade. So on a $1,000 trade, you lose about 70, 70 cents. And on the very worst broker, um, you'd actually lose 46 basis points or about $4.60. So the spread between the best and the worst broker was almost six and a half times the cost. Which is shocking. I mean, there there had to be some reasons behind that. What did you find? Well, you know, so one of the, you know, the SEC would probably tell you it's payment for order flow. But what we actually found was that there was no relation between the variation in payment for order flow and the variation or execution. Uh, so just to give you a concrete example, our number one broker, um, has payment for order flow, <clears throat> but our number three and number five broker in terms of best execution in terms of price actually don't have payment for order flow. So that didn't explain it. And ultimately what we found was uh, essentially the market center. So as you know, when you place a retail trade now, it doesn't go to the exchange, it goes to Citadel or Virtue or some other market center. Uh, basically the market centers were giving systematically different prices to different brokers. So we'd have two trades go to the same market center at the same time and they get radically different pricing on a consistent basis. Chris, what did the brokerages say when you reached out to them or Citadel and Virtu? What, what did they have to say about any of this? So, you know, basically all of them said that there's different, each broker has a different value for their order flow. Um, so just to give you an idea, you know, if, if we have a, if I'm a brokerage and I have one person buy Apple and one person sell Apple, that's great for a market maker because they can just cross the two trades and then make profit. Um, but if all of us are going out and buying BBBY at the same time, then obviously that's incredibly expensive order flow for the market centers. Like I'm guessing right now, Citadel and Virtue and others wish they didn't have to actually fill orders for BBBY. 
And so the explanation we got was basically the the value or the profitability of order flow from different brokers is different. When I read this study, when it first came out, I, I was kind of amazed because you think if you're getting free trading, it's free trading. But obviously there are costs behind the scenes. You used all these different brokerages, and I guess the brokerages were E-Trade, Fidelity, Interactive Brokers, Robinhood, TD Ameritrade. That's five. I don't know who the sixth was. But in none of the reporting that I saw, did it say who was the best and who was the worst? Why is that? Um, actually, in the paper, we do name names. Um, okay, tell us. Uh, of course, I, I figured you're going to ask. You know, and we're academics, so we don't really like to trade and talk, Becky. But uh, the number one broker was TD Ameritrade. They had the best execution. That's amazing. Who was the worst? Interactive broker was the worst. Wow, that's a really big difference. Um, do you think there's any chance that this changes with the publication of this, or you know? I, I just feel like, okay, that's a huge ad for any of these companies who are doing it. I mean, that's a big shakeout, and it does make a big difference in how much investors are going to be paying over a course of time. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I think it's important to note that we're only looking at one reason that you might trade a broker, right? So there could be reasons that you'd pick Interactive Broker over TD, even if you think the execution is a little bit uh, price like execution. Um, it could be latency. It could be features offered. I'll take the one that gives me the the cheapest trade. Well, I mean, to give you an example, I mean, you can't trade crypto on TD, but you can trade crypto on Robinhood, right? So so okay. maybe you want to have one account for for everything. You know, I think for us, I mean, um, I mean, you know, we always, you know, for me personally, I mean, you always hear about best execution, right? So I think right. for me, when you know, when I had the two differences, the $150 and, the, and making $12, you know, that really kind of led to this question, you know, what does best execution mean if I have two accounts and I'm getting totally different, different price execution? How can that be best execution? <clears throat> and I think from us, you know, I mean, the SEC wants to do a lot of changes to market structure. I think you always have to be careful with those. You never know what the unintended consequences are. But certainly, um, I can't think of any other consumer finance product where costs aren't up front. You know, if you get a loan, it's up front. If you get an ATM, it's up front. If you healthcare uh, get a, yeah, if you get a mutual fund, right? You you see everything, and and yet here we say it's free, and then you know people think it's free, and obviously the costs are it's not free. A and then B, the costs are very very different depending on what broker you use. If you you were matching free trades throughout, is there any was there any matching against somewhere where you actually paid for the trade? Did you get better execution for that? Oh, so price? so um. So back to one of your earlier points. So we actually had two different accounts at Interactive Broker. So they have a pro account, which has no payment for order flow, but charges commissions. And then they have a light account, which has payment for order flow, but does not charge commissions. So um, so the, the the account where actually we pay commissions on Interactive Broker and did not have payment for order flow uh, was actually the fifth ranked account of the six. And, and the one where you did not pay was six? Correct. So Interactive Brokers performed poorly on on both counts did they give you any reasons for that um so they have not reached out i'm i'm guessing that they'll tell me that they're not really after retail traders that 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 would be my guess but they have not reached out okay um chris anything else you kind of took away and again this wasn't what you were setting out to prove when you were doing this research you just kind of found it along the way uh yeah it was like a happy accident as bob ross would say um but i mean i just you know i think always in the consumer space you have to be careful um you know, about, you know, when someone says something free, it's not free, right? Um, and this is certainly a case where things were not free. Um, and certainly in this case, you know, not only was it not free, but execution differences were were much different. And, you know, my hope is, is that there's some disclosure changes. I mean, it shouldn't take, you know, my co-authors and I losing tens of thousands of dollars personally to find this out. It should be publicly available. Um, so everybody knows how much they're paying.
uh, for their for their trading. Agree 100 percent. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. And hopefully the authorities are listening, too. But, Chris, thanks for your time. Uh, thank you so much, Becky. That does it for Squawk Pod today and for the week. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from that TV broadcast right into your ears, follow us here on Squawk Pod wherever you're listening. We'll meet you back here on Tuesday. Have a great long weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.